In this episode, I needed coaching. So joining this group helped with that coaching. Joining this group helped me get a voice inside the insurance companies. Welcome. You're listening to the Collision Buzz podcast presented by Driven Brands, the largest automotive franchise organization in North America. The Collision Buzz is a show that dives into the auto body repair industry in support of the independent body shop owner. Each episode features guest leaders and operators from all aspects of the collision repair industry to discuss the challenges, solutions, and insights that have helped them in their journey to success. Stay tuned each month for new episodes to come. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm your host from Driven Brands, Dennis O'Mahony, Senior Vice President of Operations, along with my co-host, Senior Director of Marketing, the wonderful Jennifer Paulino. For today's topics of discussion, we'll be touching on some of the most pressing issues facing collision repair shops in today's fast-evolving landscape, as well as real-world strategies that fellow independent body shop owners utilize to tackle these challenges and redefine success. Jennifer. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here for this very special episode. As Dennis mentioned, my name is Jennifer Paulino with Driven Brands. Now, for those of you listening to the podcast here, we're actually recording this live in front of an audience from our Fix Auto USA conference in beautiful San Diego. So before we dig into the podcast, why don't we go around our group and get some introductions, maybe just to give us a bit of an understanding of your business, your operation, how many shops you own. Um, Jesse, why don't we start with you? Uh, my name is Jesse Horde. I work in the Northern California market. We have three stores up there, Fix Auto Capital City, Fix Auto Orangeville, and uh, Fix Auto Roseville. Really grew two of those stores in the last uh, year, year and a half. We're operating right around about eight and a half, 850,000 a month and continue to grow. Probably double that by next year. All right. Uh, my name is Alex Storia, based here in San Diego. Uh, shop is Fix Auto Santee. I'll hit two years next week, two years at the Fix Auto. I do about 2.8 this year. Um, so we're growing. Mm-hmm. Looking forward for the future. Ernie Lagarakis, Fix Auto Skokie, that's out of the Chicago market. Been at, as an independent center since 1986. Joined the Fix family as a franchisee eight years ago, and we've had quite a bit of growth in the last six, seven years. We're on track this year for a single location, I'm, I'm not multi-location, uh, for just a little over seven million for Body Shop right now, so. Good morning all, uh, Richard Fish, Southern California. Uh, we have a total of eight locations sprinkled throughout LA, Orange County, and San Diego County. We do about 36 million in annual revenue. I've been involved in the business since 05. Um, myself and a partner bought three body shops the week that M2 melted down. One door closes, another one opens. And uh, so here we are, and excited to be here, excited to reconnect with all of my fellow franchisees. And uh, uh, Dean did a very nice presentation today, but I, I, I wanted to say that the greatest power at Fixado is each other, helping each other. Anyone needs help, you raise your hand, you'll get help here. Beautiful, well, thank you so much. All right, well, let's get right into it. So Alex, you're up first. You are known to be very customer-centric, having you know little touches throughout the customer experience to really set yourself apart from the competition. Can you uh, explain a little bit about what you're doing in your shop and how your customers are reacting to that? Well, I think that, you know, our industry is moving so quickly and um, for the customers, you know, we have a uphill battle a little bit, right? Nobody wants to be at our shop right now. We all have shops. They're all in operation. There's all full of customers. No one, not one of your customers at your shop right now wants to be there, right? So that's an uphill battle. The good side is though, they also probably haven't been in an accident in a while or ever. So we get to set the tone for them. Their expectations might be super low or might be high, but we get to set the tone. And I think in our market right now, that's really important to do. So I do a couple different things. You know, I, I'm known for doing a ballet system. I like to do that a lot. And I also like to just do handwritten notes or if I get a referral, 
I know the person walking into the store. I know my name and I know who sent the car. Certain things like that, what I like to say is it gives me a little bit of a cushion, right? So if the operation doesn't work perfectly, sometimes if it goes wrong, they get to lean back on that cushion, but, oh, that gentleman was so nice. He came to my house and picked up the car or he knew me by name or whatever it is, or our bathroom was super clean or our location, <clears throat> the parking was really easy to get into. Something like that, that we can really kind of wow the customer. Because if you think about it, if they haven't been in an accident, you're going to be the tone, right? You're going to be the expectation moving forward. If they have been in an accident and they're at your shop, that other shop didn't do a good job of retaining that customer, right? Because they, they should be at that other place. And I always like to tell my team and staff, like, look, I want a type of operation where if someone's at a dinner party and they're having a discussion and they say, oh, I got an accident. I want the kind of business that's like, whoa, 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 you've been in an accident? Oh, you got to call my buddy Alex. Or you got to call Pixel Santa you because that's a great shop. You want to have that type of business as like a dinner stopper that someone will actually interrupt the dinner party and be like, oh man, you got to make sure you use this person. And that's the kind of business I want to build. And I, when I, and I opened during COVID. So I opened during like low point and I had no idea what to expect. And I'm so glad I had those referrals um, to lean back on because I wouldn't have probably made it all the way through. So. Alex, can you touch a little bit more on the valet program you mentioned, you know, going that extra mile and what that's meant to you? Yeah. So my shop is in uh, East County of San Diego and to people that live here, it seems like it's like a different state almost. Nobody wants to go out that way. You know, I kind of realized that like, since nobody wants to come to the shop and the market that we're in, everyone's used to Amazon and delivery. I started to valet cars. So I have a contract with uh, enterprise, but I can pick up a rental car from them. I can drive it out to the customer. I can do the contract for the customer and then I can bring their car into the shop. I like to do it really just for the intake process. When it comes to when the car's finished, I like the customer to come to the shop and we deliver it in the shop for multiple reasons, as all you guys know, for QC issues or lighting and that kind of thing. But it really does add an extra level of service. And every time I do it, just you can hear it in the customer's voice. They're like, thank you for coming out here. I'm a single mom. I got the kids going to daycare, all these different things. So you get that cushion of customer service. But on the flip side, you get the pull for markets that no one would drive to your shop. I mean, I'm, I'm having people come to my shop from all over the place, but I'll go, you know, if I'm going 20 miles outside of my shop to get a car and bring it to the shop, I would have never got that car. So that's, to me, that's his bonus. Talking a little bit more about the customer expectations, it seems like over the last couple of years, it's changed, not only in our industry. What are some of you guys experiencing? Maybe Ernie, touch base on what you're experiencing today as far as the customer expectations. Well, just to add on what Alex had said, um, you know, wowing your customer is huge, right? Because for heavy DRP, we just kind of become an order taker. I was reading an article one time that they're saying that the average DRP customer won't remember your name after about three months. So the market's changed a little bit for us that it's just so much volume coming through the door now. We have the parts challenges. So trying to really educate our customer up front. We actually modified our card showing uh, with a little temporary patch that uh, backorder scenario parts. I don't know if you've ever used a roadmap fix has with a little question mark in there. So it's a tough market now in the sense where we have plenty of work, but you have customers that don't quite understand the, the supply chain issues. Some really do, some really don't. And uh, that's been our challenge is just trying to keep those customers happy that the car sits there four months. And they're the ones that usually take time to fill out that survey at the end. So that's been one of our biggest challenges is just keeping that 10% of people happy as we can. So got it. You have anything else to share, Jesse or Rich, with regard to the customer? Uh, I mean, the changes in the landscape coming out of COVID and the challenges related to the supply chain are remarkable. And they're nothing you know, we've ever had to deal with. Our company used to have a policy that we would never pre-order a part because we just didn't want it on, on site and we didn't want to have the risk of the customer not showing up. And, but we've had to pivot, we've had to change. We've not only decided to do what we can to elegantly pre-order parts, but we've had to come up with like, how many ROs are we allowed to have in a pre-order bucket? You know, you can't do it forever. 
And frankly, storing those parts is a challenge which, that we've never really had. Paying for the parts ahead of the car getting in there is also a challenge. And occasionally you get customers that say, oh, I just traded the car. Like, oh, really? Because I have $6,000 for the parts in here for you. Can I drop them at your house? <laughs> um, so yeah, we've had to pivot big time and do the best we can. We all talk about CSI scores. I would say in the last six bad Yelp scores we've gotten, probably four of them, we never fixed their car. They were just mad that we couldn't accommodate them. Is it is a new world. Uh, I won't say the customer isn't any more demanding. We're just having, we have more challenges in our work environment than we've ever had. And hopefully, you know, the, time, the, uh, the supply chain will come around and get back to where it was and be more reliable. But right now we've had to pivot and I'm happy with what we've done. I don't love it all, but I'm happy with, and I, th I feel like we're doing the right things. Great. Now, I know we've kind of changed, you know, most recently to more of a digital world, right? We're communicating with our customers more and more via text. You know, I guess the question would be, is it too digital? Are we, are we communicating with our customer too much in text? How are you guys kind of adopting the phone versus text and, and getting a good communication back to the end customer? We still call everybody. We don't rely on essentially the, the, the call center to do that job. We want to be the first one to call, make contact with the customer, develop that relationship right out of the gate. Everybody's talked about you know the different customer service platforms or the, the DRPs that we want to maintain, the contracts we want to maintain. In my business, in my first shop, we built our business on the scraps of the ones around us, the, sh the stuff that nobody wanted to work on. No, we don't do estimates after three o'clock. We're you know 65 months out. All those things that you hear customers constantly complaining about. One of the things I tell my staff often is, you know, we have right now this unique time of abundance of work, and we need to pay attention to the customers that we've walked into the store. And part of that customer service is communicating through phone, not just sending me an email or a text message. I mean, we all pretty much live inside of our text messages and emails. And that's something that's completely new to me because I'm, you know, background of a technician. So I like to have that communication. I like to have that hand to hand. I like to be able to talk with the customers. I like to let them know that they're heard. They have an opportunity to ask questions, especially when it's in the course of repairs, because most people don't know what R&I means, what, you know, R&R &R means. They don't understand, you know, their estimate hundred percent. So being able to itemize and line note all those items and go over the repair process and, you know, reaffirm of a, you know, what kind of hurdles we're having through the repair process helps ensure that they're going to have a better quality of repair and experience and then, you know, likely come back to us. Well, y'all must be doing something right because this group here is just, they're rock stars in terms of their Google review ratings, their MPS scores. What are you doing to try to capture those reviews and capture those positive um, surveys from your customers? Well, I can touch on the review side. You know, Google's been super powerful for us and Podium has done a great job. Um, it really has upped it. I, I hope, like I said, it'll be two years next week and I already have the highest Google rating in my city of Santee and their shops have been there since the 60s or before that even, and they're still in business, but they, you know, I surpassed them already. So having that ability to kind of send that text out or to have that text go out for the Google rating and have it be so simple as a click is a comment and it's a send, you know, you don't got to do anything else. It really has upped it. And then, you know, staying on top of the answering those, I know that your team is taking over that as well, but just stay on top of answering them. I always like to make it very personal and, you know, not be so, not be so rigid sometimes, you know, I think customers are just real people. They're just your neighbors and people that go to your kid's school. So just kind of keeping it light and keeping it fresh. And sometimes I'll talk to the customer, like, how'd you guys get here? Like, oh, you're on the state farm list. And I looked at your Google reviews. It always seems to be that and part, you know, that kind of tips them into the zone. So for me, Google has been super powerful. Awesome. Anybody else have anything to share on their MPS or? I mean, customer satisfaction results, whether it comes from Yelp or Google, or even prior to that, our own internal systems, that's a key KPI. It's a key management system. And I think companies that don't align themselves to A, perform and serve the customer in a way that they be, could be proud of are, are missing you know, great chances to build their business, but also 
aligning your company that everybody is as motivated as I am and with happy customers. Our CSRs, our writers, our production managers, our managers, our uh, corporate support staff, most of them have CSI bonuses, right? I want them passionate about happy customers. And, and frankly, they can make a lot of money uh, with uh, making sure customers are happy. Uh, and they'll feel pain if they're not. And frankly, I kind of want that as an owner. I want them to be excited about strong CSI scores and, and the like. And we pay a CSI bonus to our technicians. The top CSI score for a tech uh, gets a $100 cash bonus. We do it compliant and we give them a $100 bill because we want the ceremony, we want the moment, we want to give, you know, we want everyone to give them heck that they're buying lunch. And, uh, and frankly, techs can in fact in, impact your CSI. And getting everyone kind of pulling on the same side of the rope in this area is, it's the foundation of a successful business and you can't mail it in. You gotta like have systems, pay programs, processes that are all aligned to serve the customer. Not the body tech, not the painter, the customer. We spent a lot of time working with, you know, Yelp and Google and Facebook. And again, a lot of the digital platform is extremely important. And like you had mentioned, you know, communicating, being, you know, not so rigid, not having those auto responses populate every single time, because it's pretty much the same thing every time. Customer goes in there, I'm sure everybody here uses Google or they use Yelp. We're not looking at the five-star reviews. We're looking at the one-star review. We're looking like, what was the reason that customer wasn't happy? And you might only have one or two, but identifying what those were and what the response was to that. Did you, you know, take, did you take a, a minute to collect your thoughts on that prepared? Did you get educated on it? Did you respond back to that customer in the most respectful manner possible? Did you do it within a timely manner? So, you know, paying attention to those different reviews, you know, paying attention to your platforms, identifying how many reviews you have on each platform, understanding that everybody doesn't shop at the same store you do. So you might love Google, but someone else loves Yelp. So paying attention to how many of those you have. When somebody comes in and says, oh, I'd love to give you guys a review, you know, are you on Yelp or are you on Google? If you know that you only have five reviews on Google, you might want to tell them, well, I'd, I'd appreciate if you go to Google and leave a review there. If you know that you're operating on a podium, that's automatically going to transfer to a Google review. So you don't have to worry much about that. They're going to get that survey anyway. So maybe push them over to Yelp or Facebook. Depends on where you find people in your market. You know, we do a lot of digital uh, outreach inside of our community. We post that online. We're very proud of what we do inside of our community. So that also helps drive some of that customer base. That helps drive some of those reviews that it might not have been a vehicle you repaired. It might have been a service you provided. It might have been a sponsorship you did inside your community. So getting a little bit of diversity inside of uh, those reviews also helps people feel comfort and you know pride in wanting to go to your facility. So, you know, really paying attention to each one of those reviews, paying attention to each one of those platforms, marketing in each one of those platforms, paying into them if you have to, so you're not getting kicked off, you know, uh, that page's search because you didn't want to put 10 bucks into that, you know, that program. So really it's, it's a pay to play, but it also takes a lot of drive. It takes a lot of, you know, participation to make sure that your customers are, are viewing you the way you want to be viewed. Yeah. And kind of guiding the customer to the platform that maybe yeah. you need to work on or. Well, and the values that, you know, you want your store to represent. So letting them know that they're not just going to come in and they're going to be a number and they're, they might get called back or yeah, let them know that, 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 you know, we remember them and thank you for your service. Thank you for choosing us. You know what, Jesse, you, you raise a really good point. As a business owner, I don't love Yelp, but as a consumer, I live by it. And so do our customers. So I made this decision many years ago, we're gonna manage Yelp. We're gonna do the very best we can. I respond to every single Yelp review, positive or negative. If it's negative, I put my phone number on there and say, I wanna, I wanna make this right, and let's, let's work through it. And uh, if, if it's positive, I thank them for their help on behalf of the entire staff that work together to touch their car and get it done. I, I've seen restaurants that like, oh, I don't believe in Yelp. I know you have a 3.0 star and I'm, and I'm never and coming, I'm never to, your coming to your store. <laughs> yeah. Your eggs suck. It says so right here. <laughs> and you know, you you talk about negative reviews, but if you follow up with these customers, I mean, aside from responding, I pick up the phone and actually call the customers, ask them how we missed. And it's usually something very small. It's not usually this big fail 
once in a blue moon it is. But getting back to touching the customers and texting, I think you know we spend our opportunity up front really getting to know the customer, understanding them. Of course, before we start the repairs, we touch the customer with the phone call. The CSI scores, no matter where it comes from, Google or CCC, or we include that in our morning review meetings with our release meeting, but I actually have meetings with each department and encouraging the guys, thanking them for doing a great job. So with the body department or the detail department, when we're doing the incentive program, like Rich says, typically we do it by department. So if they, they get a bonus for CSI, we'll give them a bonus and then review great reviews and then where we might have missed. And then we just have an opportunity to review that file. So especially when the, the detailers are back there grinding away, washing, you know, 300 cars a month that, you know, they buff that little extra spot and the customer was so happy and my cars never looked so good since I bought it. And, you know, the guys really, it makes them feel a lot better. So puts a positive spin on the day for them. And if we miss, we let them know where we missed. And it's not usually we don't beat them over the head with it. We just let them know there's an opportunity there to provide a little bit better service next time. So Nice. Looking at some of the other KPIs for your shops, you all also have pretty healthy LOR. So what are you doing in the repair cycle to try to combat, you know, given all the challenges that we're facing in the industry here, what are you doing in your shops to try to help maintain that, that LOR? One of all of our favorite things to do is pre-order parts, let it marinate in the back corner of the shop until we have enough parts to bring the car in. That is uh, sarcastically our, our Achilles heel right now is as that car doesn't come in, now returning it, trying to get it back. But that's ultimately what leads to a good length of rental is having most of everything you need when that car comes in, being prepared for that car to come in, not just letting it drop off and sit in the back lot and wait to get to it or wait for that quarter panel to show up, exploring different repair options. You know, you may not be favored to using a used part or a used quarter, but if that's all that's available because the other one's on national back order for 85 months and you're like, well, I'll just repair it then. We're going to at least make an attempt at it. You know, and in that process, we can communicate with the customer, let them know that we're in process. We're not just letting it sitting and waiting. So again, trying to have as many parts on hand helps the process, you know, front to back so that they're not sitting and waiting so that we're not waiting for that. Doing a thorough teardown when it comes in, identifying all the damage right away, jotting it down as you tear it down. I often tell my techs, I'm like, I don't want to see you tear a car down, put everything on the rack and then come back and try and write, you know, your supplement or then get with the writer. As you're taking it down, it needs to be written in the same format you see it on your C1, as you see in your C1 sheet. So if you're pulling apart your front bumper, the very first thing that I should see on your supplement is your bumper and all the items you need in your bumper, all the way down to the clip. And now you're getting to your headlights. That's where I want to see that course of action. As you read it on C1 is how I want to see it in a supplement sheet, because that tells me that you identified all your damage, you were paying attention to those parts, and you didn't wait till the very end after lunch, at the end of the day or the next day to then go over and try and remember that oh damn, I forgot I needed that bracket for that sonar sensor. Or I needed that bumper stay that was broken at the end that's now gonna hold up that job. Oftentimes a $5 part will kill that cycle time. So trying to identify the parts up front, make sure that we do a thorough estimate in the beginning, get as many parts as we can in within a reasonable amount of time. Don't let them marinate in the back of the shop for too long so we're being stuck with the parts the customer decides to go somewhere else. But really finding ways to work on the vehicle, that's another one too, that oftentimes you'll hear technicians say, I don't have this part, I don't have that. Or the writer says, well, I'm waiting on this authorization. I'm like, well, what is authorized? Well, you wrote that preliminary sheet. Obviously, they're in there. There's a preliminary authorization. They're wanting more time on that quarter panel. Well, what's going to justify the more time on the quarter panel? The in-process photos. So don't hold off and wait till they're going to give you the 10 hours. If you only got six, start repairing the vehicle. Get the thing going. It's already authorized. And then get that in-process photos to help justify your time. But find the reasons to work on it. Don't give me reasons why you can't. And if you can at least take that car to 95% when that bumper stays shows up or when that headlight shows up, now your car is done. It's just waiting for it. It's not just starting. And so it helps get that car out a lot sooner. One of the things I've found in talking to our owners, which is great, is it seems like there was somewhat of a reset with COVID from the perspective that everybody kind of did some self-realization with regard to their stores. How much better operationally are you today kind of after doing that review, kind of the slowdown through COVID? 
fixing things that maybe were broken previously to where today the growth is there operationally you're humming so to speak you know where are you guys at with that today i, I could answer some for that i mean i, I was very lucky during COVID. i, I didn't have a slowdown uh, we got hit by a monster hailstorm right in our area so we were kind of a, a unicorn in the industry but it was a different busy it was this hail busy i mean we're swamped but I still had a lot of time to work on the operations. So it's allowed me to double down on, you know, we're talking about the LOR. We've always kind of pre-ordered parts and we've always kind of immediately got it in for full disassembly and writing a really thorough estimate. Uh, and that's all helped. You know, going back to the LOR thing, I've put more cars back together again and shipped them damaged because we can't get parts. So instead of having them sit in the parking lot, unless it's, of course, it's airbags or critical, you know, safety equipment, we're sending a lot of cars back up on the road today, uh, letting the customer know, that you'll have to come in in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. So that's helped a lot with us on the LOR part, but tightening up the processes, it's just about having systems in place, following them every day, and just having great staff. I mean, I'm very blessed with a great staff. So that's everything, is your staff. That's a good segue. You know, it seems to be that labor shortages and parts availability are at the forefront of the issues that we have within the industry. Right. And Rich, you've got a really unique background from the perspective that you came from technology or software, right, versus kind of growing up in a body shop or, or starting there. And then you've been trained in Lean Six Sigma as well. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how that's helped you, uh, one, grow to the six stores that you have today and then, you know, operate at a very high level? So I entered, you know, get into the business as an owner operator in 05. And for two years, we were a marginal middle American body shop. And I was frustrated. I'm like, man, I, I just don't want, I, I, I want to be proud of what I do for a living. And I was lucky enough the summer of 07 to go to a meeting and it was, it was all about Lean Six Sigma. And I was looking for a way to stop the firefighting that happens every day in a body shop and printing process with meticulous disassembly. And we saw our cycle time start. We started at 14 days. We were middle American body shop. Within 90 days, we were below 10. Within a six months, we were in comfortably in the single digits. Comfortably, six, seven days. And it was all about process. It was all about managing our whip. People in our business love to see a lot of cars around. I'm telling you, if you want to be great, you got to have enough wherewithal to identify what the optimal level of work and process is in your body shop. We've always defined it by money, right? If we want a $200,000 body shop, we need 50K in whip. We want to turn it four times. We are a world-class body shop with great CSI. And everyone that works there has a great quality of life and they're not stressed out of their gourd. Today, it's different, right? The escalation in the value of repairs is, is up notably. So we're, we're rethinking that, you know? Maybe we turn our whip three and a half times. But more importantly, we really started morphing to how many ROs do we want in a given shop, right? And, and that's been kind of getting us back to the basics, the, the foundational uh, metrics. So. I'm telling you, if you love whip, you're not going to be great at this business. If you have enough wherewithal to identify the perfect level of whip in your shop so, so the customers get the service they deserve and the cars get the attention they deserve, you're going to be a, have a world-class body shop. And we, we have a lot of shops and we have to be very process-centric. I can't remember that the air compressor that needs to be serviced in Oceanside, right? We have whiteboards for all that stuff to hold us accountable, to make it loud in public, uh, which is a, a big uh, underpinning of, of lean, loud visual cues. And, and it's helped. And, and believe me, we've been doing, we've been pursuing lean since 07. We're not done. You're never done if you're pursuing lean. Well, let's talk a little bit more about WIP. You know, right now, WIP is at its highest 
historic levels, right? Even over the last two months, we've seen the average number of cars in WIP go from 41 to 45 across the network. So what are you guys doing to stabilize that or understanding again, parts is a very, very difficult uh, problem that we're all looking to co overcome here, but how are you stabilizing WIP today or trying to drive that down? In our shops, we're, and I'm not gonna kid you, some shops are notably more successful at this than others, but the managers that have the discipline to control the intake, and it's not easy, right? You get three toe-ins on a Monday you didn't know about, it's hard to do that. So you're, it's, we're, you're never gonna be perfect, right? But you, get, you gotta keep aiming for that level of perfection. But the managers that control their whip have world-class cycle time, have easy, good CSI scores, have uh, employees that are proud of what they do for a living. They're not stressed out of their gorges every night. And that stuff matters. I always marvel at this phenomenon of whip management uh, and, and lean thinking. You know, I was, I, people have heard me say that I feel like Lean Six Sigma is a Christmas gift, but not everybody opens it. And it's kind of sad because there's a way to run your business really, really well being fanatically process centric. But optimal whip matters and it's harder today than ever before. It doesn't mean you don't stop, you don't keep trying though. Yeah, I agree with that. Some of these uh, insurance programs we're on, aren't the traditional ones. We have one of them that's just been, we're constantly working with retraining them because they have a philosophy. They just want the cars dumped, written, and you know they want their estimates written within 24 hours, 48 hours. And we've seen up to 18 cars dropped in on a Monday on us. So, and that's with doing a check-in, pre-wash, pre-alignment, pre-scan, <laughs> complete disassembly. It's, it's hard. That, that's our biggest challenge right now is controlling whip. It's, it's very difficult. Like Rich said, you, you can't manage these tollings and you just got to start saying no or turn off programs or dial them back down. And he's right. It's hard. It's very hard. So some of the things we've tried to do here, especially a bigger store, if we know we're going to get two tow-ins on a Monday, we don't know where they're coming from, then we block out two tow-ins. And we try to book Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Fill those. I want, I want if, if it's a 10 intake location, I want 10 cars on Friday, right? I want them disassembled, sheets written, parts ordered. So we try to level our whip out and we try to not allow the carriers to dump everything on Monday and Tuesday. So we're more efficient. Like when, you, when you're checking in 25 cars in a day and a shop usually takes in 14, what customer is getting the service they deserve? None. Who wants that, right? So you have to have enough wherewithal to smooth it out to the best of your ability. Yeah, we schedule the same amount of cars every day during the week. Does it always happen that way? <laughs> no, but uh, it still seems like there's a lot of the industry that wants to just dump everything on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but we schedule our incoming cars equally throughout the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, because uh, our LOR is good already. So I don't, I, don't, I don't really worry about that right now. So and it's working off of the averages. Ultimately, right. we, we're, we're looking at the same way that both of you guys were kind of touching on what I was going to lead into is not front loading your week. That'd be like, you know, waiting to the end of the month to make all your money. So paying attention to the cars that are leaving just as much as the cars that are coming in, you could be bringing in three, five, 10, 15 cars a day, but if you're not keeping your finger on the pulse and watching what's actually leaving every day, you're not making any money, you're just storing a bunch of cars and you're not making any money at all doing that. So really paying attention to the day-to-day -day numbers, put those metrics in place so that when you have your morning meeting with your staff, you're identifying one where you're at that month, what your goal is for the day, if you were behind from yesterday, what we have to make up and really try to drive everyday sales, not week or month sales. If you pay attention to the day-to-day, the week will come, the month will come naturally. You'll never have an end of the month rush. It'll be comfortable. It'll be smooth. It'll be seamless. And working on the law of average, like you guys talking about, bringing in every single day. Yeah, you're going to have cars roll over the weekend, but you're also going to have those, say, bigger jobs rolling over the weekend. So when you order those parts on Thursday or Friday, they're in transit on Saturday and Sunday. They're not in transit on Monday and Tuesday when you could, when you want to work on those cars. So really starting to kind of play a little bit of a chess with the cars that are coming in and know what you can bring in at the end of the week really helps with one workflow, consistency inside the shop, keeping that paint shop spraying paint. That's ultimately where we make all of our money. Essentially, if it's not spraying, we're not moving cars. So 
paying attention to what's leaving is every bit as important as paying attention to what's coming in. Yeah, that's a good point. We have a, you know, the morning release meeting, but we also have an evening meeting planning on all the cars that we are planning on having ready tomorrow and calling the customers the night before and getting them prepared for pick up their cars because sometimes our guys forget to make a note that they're out of town for two weeks. So we're killing ourselves to get that car done. Well, if that's the case, we'll push it the next day. But planning the delivery as much as we're planning the intake of the car is just as important because you're right, getting cars out the door is a lot harder than taking them in. I think that's a good point. I mean, nobody wants to call at 3.30 on a Friday that they're ready to pick the car and we close at 5. Like, no one can make that happen. You know, the customers are like, well, I, what? Like, so the day before is a great way to prepare them. Hey, we're planning on your car being ready at this time. I will confirm with you at 2. Right. So that you can make it by 5. Like, when my staff does that, they call somebody at 4. and like, well, they won't want to pick it up. I'm like, would you? Would you want to pick it up right now during traffic on a Friday? Go to pick your car. So it doesn't really make sense. We try to give them ahead of time so that they can catch them. And that helps with the LOR and everything. 100%. That's, uh, that'll protect you from getting at bad CSI. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about the change in models and technologies and vehicles today and talk a little bit more specifically around electric vehicles. You know, up here, we've got three out of the four owners who are on the Tesla program and have invested in electric vehicles. And Ernie, you're actually the only fixed auto franchisee outside of California that is Tesla certified as well. Can you talk a little bit about the decision you made to go down that particular road? Yeah, uh, well, I kept that review and I looked at it about four or five years ago. I didn't think we had enough vehicles in the Chicago market, Teslas, but we kept on getting them coming to our store and we were kind of turning them away. You know, Rich was talking about whip addicted. That's me, you know, not that I want too many cars in the shop, but I hate setting away good quality repairs and they're coming, right? So we're already on quite a few OEM programs, uh, Ford for one of them. And, you know, guess what? If you're on the Ford program, you should be electric certified anyways, right? You got the Mach-E. We got a full electric transit van in the shop right now owned by Walmart, all electric. So we're already there. So it wasn't a big jump to get into the Tesla program. And Tesla, for me, has put a lot of thought into their program where it wasn't really equipment heavy. If you're already set up with a lot of these aluminum equipment for your other OEs, it wasn't a big jump to get into Tesla. So it's coming. It's, It's definitely on its way. It's here. Um, and I found that trying to get away from being so reliant on our DRP programs, kind of diversify myself a little bit and find these OEM programs that do drive work to your door. And Tesla definitely does do that. I would say the next day we lit up and we were getting calls from Wisconsin, Indiana, and we're in North Chicago area, Northern suburbs. Uh, they were calling from all over because it seemed like every Tesla shop in our area was backed up, you know, three months, four months. So. It's, it's been a good move. You need a definitely a different tech <laughs> in the sense we're a different mindset, not a different tech. It's not the same thing as working on a regular car. You know, I hear that a lot, you know, when I'm talking to different partners that, you know, what's the difference? You know, well, there's a big difference. You got a lethal power pack on the car. You need a higher trained electronic technician up front, your calibration tech or whatever you want to call them, and understanding the whole process of uh, 50 hours of training online. There's a lot that goes into it, but, uh, it's, it's, it's coming, right? So, and then once you get on those programs, all the other EV programs seem to be pretty easy to get involved with. Uh, we're even, Rivian's contacted us right now. So it seems like they kind of follow each other from what I'm seeing. So, so the jury's out on that one because it seems like they need more equipment than Tesla needed. Don't understand it yet, but we'll figure it out. And, you know, right now, you know, 39% of all cars that are sold in California are electric. And I think they're mandating it that by, 20, 30, 30% of all vehicles sold. And there's new legislation that's coming down the pike as well. What are you guys, 
you know, some of the other ones, how are you handling or managing through kind of the new electric vehicle growth? Uh, well, I can start. Let me first say, as it relates to OEM certifications, if I would have stood up here seven years ago, I said, yeah, they bring no value to my business. That's not the case anymore, in part because of the complexity of the, the vehicle repairs, having access to OEM repair methods matters a lot. Also, some of the, uh, the certifications can bring real legitimate revenue and business value to the, to the table, not all. And frankly, Tesla is at the top of that, right? They have no dealer network. While they do have some of their own body shops, they, their body shops don't really seem like they want to fix any cars that have been in an accident. It's what they, they like dings and dents. So we made a decision really coming into COVID that we were going to pursue three to five OEM certs per shop. We did Ford, GM, and Tesla, and are pursuing a few others as we speak. But Tesla was very unique. I mean, we, we spent, the least we spent was probably 125,000. The most we spent was probably 300,000. And it was really just kind of what, what, our, what our equipment was as a jumping off point and the training and the like. And it's been unbelievable. I mean, I, I need to get this number, but I'll, I'll bet a third of our revenue is Tesla. And if you think about that, when you get Tesla certified and you see those cars in your shop, you know for a fact that's incremental business, right? You couldn't fix those before. And it's one of the rare DRPs that generally speaking, you can't get parts, or at least you can't get parts with any GP opportunity unless you're certified by Tesla. So are they, you know, are they perfect? No. Are they serious, deadly serious about their business? They are, and they're getting better every day. And it's been, uh, I, frankly, it's been one of the better business decisions I made. I would put it right up there with, you know, the business decision I made in 2011 to become involved with Fix Auto. Now, for those of you who are Tesla certified up here, has that changed your strategy a little bit with other OE partners who are getting into the EV space? And are you starting to explore those certifications at all? Well, first of all, I have to give Rich some credit because he pulled me aside right when I was about to open. And he's like, get Tesla certified. Just do it. And honestly, it was a great decision. It was hard to do at the time because I was opening a shop. I was remodeling a shop. Funds were going towards that. I wasn't even fully open yet. And I'm taking Tesla courses and trying to get that done. Um, but it made my shop way more attractive as we grew. Because during COVID, I was calling insurance companies trying to get accounts and they were laughing at me. They're like, we have like four claims in your city. No, you don't, we don't need to put another shop on. So trying to get them to even you know, look at me, having that certification really put me to the top of the list. And I think the more certification you get, the more attractive you are, especially with State Farm putting that on our locator as well. They have no idea what a Ford certification means, but they own a Ford and they see that on your thing. They're going to be leaning towards that. Why well, before if I want to go to a Ford place? So I know that that's taking in. And I think for us, the challenge is the challenge is for me when I'm working on, you know, my tech's working on a, you know, Toyota Camry, and then they're going to go to a Tesla. And it's like, do you do like to shift the gears and then move on to the Tesla? So I want to start making my shop more of like where Rich's where it's like, you know, I have dedicated team just for my Teslas. And I think that would really help just keep that oil and, you know, that engine running clean. Great. And Jesse, um, specific to you at our last conference, which has been three years ago now, you were actually just a prospective Fix Auto family member at that particular time with one store in Orangeville. And now here you are sitting on stage. You just opened your third location. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and then also maybe how belonging to part of the network has benefited you as an owner? Well, I mean, most everybody here, obviously, I don't project that there's too many people that aren't part of the Fix family at this point, but I imagine there's probably a lot of people that don't take advantage of the camaraderie the family that Fix has to offer. That is one of the things that when I was here in 2019, 
I made it a point to sit at a different table every single time we had breakfast, lunch, dinner. We were, you know, on the patio. We were having drinks. We were doing an event. Whatever it was, I found myself in a different group. Whether it was the Chicago guys, you know, SoCal guys, whoever it may have been. Even prior to coming, I reached out to Lofranos. I talked to them about their experience, you know. And one of the questions I asked every single person, because some people had been on, you know, since the early 2000s, all the way to, you know, just you know, new new franchisees. But the people that have multiple locations, the people that have, you know, seven stores. I've visited probably 10 or 12 different fixed autos, you know, flew down south and, and, and checked them out and just see who I was partying with, see what they were operating with. But the question I asked every single person, would you sign again? Every single person, you know, because we'd be at the table and be talking about, you know, the heartaches of the business and, you know, some of the things we didn't like that the, the franchise was doing or the insurance company wasn't doing or just, you know, the heartaches of just doing being an operator. And through that, again, coming back and asking that question, like, well, would you do it again? And every single person said in a heartbeat, definitely, 100%. When I asked Lafranos, you know, 50 year business, you know, they changed their, their name over to Fix Auto. That's a huge deal. Anybody in here that's had to change their name has struggled with that. And like, well, I gotta have a sticker on the wall somewhere, or, you know, badge somewhere. And then you start cross branding, creating confusion inside your industry. If you're still doing that, let it go. It does create confusion, but that was always the big, hard, emotional part of making that switch was, you know, losing your identity, essentially what you built off of. For us in 2019, when we decided to join Fix, it was with the plan of growth. My Orangeville store is a very small store. And I knew that I could not ever move out of that store and bring in the talent that I would need to to manage that store appropriately so that I can actually spend time with my family. At that time, it was very, it was very common to you know, be there for 24 to 40 hours, 48 hours straight in any given month, at least once a month. I was working around the clock often. I'd sleep in my chair often. It is what it was. Moving in through COVID and then you know, basically throwing it all down. Sold my house, bought, bought my Capital City shop, right as COVID kicked us all in the cojones and uh, <laughs> spent a year and a half building that store out, which you know was one of our, actually in a back end kind of way, one of the, our biggest graces. It allowed me time to actually go and spend time and put my personal touches on that, on that building. You know, same thing, build it out to what I thought would be you know, a, a premier shop and it has become that. Right after we finally opened that store after a year and a half, three months later, we uh, locked down another location in Roseville. I think I had about a 5% chance of winning and I just gave the owner what he was asking for because it was a location that before I even had a shop when I was still working for other shops, um, it was always that one location that I'm like, if I could ever have that, that'd be great. But it was so well ingrained in the community and the people were just you know, longstanding you know, members of, of the Auto Body Association. It was never gonna go up for sale and then it came up for sale. And so the first thing I did is I went to my managers, I went to Felicia and, and said, you know, it's been hell the last few years. How would you like to do a little bit more? So <laughs> it was a group conversation. You and I had many conversations. I reached out to a lot of people inside of the network. I talked to, you know, our performance managers, again, utilizing the people around us. And it's like, what's, how do I make this work? Because I come from being a bodyman. That's my background. I was a structural technician for 20 years. And going from that into an office, into managing, into essentially parenting a staff and switching gears entirely, I needed coaching. So joining this group helped with that coaching. Joining this group helped with opening those doors that I didn't know existed. Joining this group helped me get a voice inside the insurance companies where so many of us, I'm sure, have had problems. You know, I can call Mike or John Michael or Samantha or Keith and say, hey, this is my problem. This is my, this is what I'm happy. This is what's doing great. Here's what I'd like to do better. And they can tell me who to talk to or they can make that phone call for me. That's huge. You know, having that single point of contact is huge. Having somebody that has that relationship on the other side is huge. So you don't get emotionally, you know, involved with that one car and then you jeopardize your entire relationship because sometimes that's how that, that phone call fires off 
And so they can be that buffer and that cushion. Well, we knew you'd be a great owner. Certainly you've done that now, opening your third store. It's, it's really exciting to watch and uh, well on your way to becoming the king of Sacramento, I think. So good stuff. So Ernie, you touched on it a little bit earlier, just around you know the vehicle technology changing and how that's impacting your hiring of your techs in your shop. Do you guys want to share anything around what you're doing to attract talent and sort of how you're focusing on those skill sets? Yeah, some of the techs I've brought in on the technical side, it's really been friends of friends that work for him already. Like a tech that works for me brings in his friend or the paint department wants to bring in their nephew or the detailers or I had one of the mobile ADAS techs that used to come to our shop all the time. And he just said, you know, this is a good vibe here. I really like what's going on here. I'm not really happy with my company. Are you looking to hire someone? And that's when we started on uh, down the road of ADAS. So we brought him on board. So. I haven't done it in the traditional sense where we're you know, putting ads out all over the place. It's always kind of been recruiting within the family of our shop. So that's been uh, very successful for us. Uh, I got one family, it kind of makes you a little nervous, right? Because now you got a family of uh, three guys, four guys working there, and, <laughs> but all great techs. And you know, it's all about your staff. You know, they recruit their family, friends, and uh, it's really been pretty easy for me on that side. So one, one quick thing I'd like to add about the OEMs that we were talking about, the OEM certifications. If you're looking to join these programs, guys, sit down and decide which ones you kind of want to initially invest in because there's going to be a lot of crossover. So you're going to join these programs and you think you got everything you need and then you go to talk to another one and they got a whole list of everything else now. So talk to your fellow fix owners. I reached out to Vachi a lot, uh, Rich a lot when I was looking at Tesla. They were very helpful. They've kind of been through those pains of uh, trying to get on these programs. And Fix itself was very good at helping me with everything. So, you know, ask questions and just pick a few and then go after those and uh, settle in there. You mentioned scanning and calibrations and some owners are now starting to get into the calibration business. I think you've done it as well, Ernie and, and Rich. Can you guys talk a little bit more about that and maybe to give some insight to some of the owners out there who are potentially looking at getting into that business as well? Yeah, I, I could start. Like I said, I brought in a calibration tech. He asked me for the job and I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about doing this. So I was a little bit nervous about bringing in my own full-time calibration tech, but he's so busy right now. We're looking at, we're training one of our disassembly techs to train underneath him for the calibrations. Because once you have a guy there that's doing your pre-scans and then researching everything that needs to be done on that car, you'd be shocked at how many things were probably, had been letting out the shop before. You know, they have a lot of these mobile companies that'll do that for you, but it comes with a cost. It becomes a part then, right? So it becomes a, 30% discount, 20% discount. They have other companies that'll do it from a remote desktop. I don't know if that's the direction I didn't feel was comfortable with because uh, you know you need boots on the ground looking at these cars, you know, what needs to be done. So bringing on our calibration tech has been fantastic. I was really nervous about bringing them on because they're not, they're higher skilled technicians. A lot of investment in softwares, targeting system. If anyone wants to talk to me later on about it, I'm more than happy to discuss it, but it's been great. So I think it controls Anything you could less sublet, you have better control of cycle time, your LOR, all that good stuff, right? That's why 30 years ago I put an alignment system in and that's why I don't sublet basically anything but maybe upholstery. We even do our own glass internally. So it's been good. It's definitely recommended. If you have enough volume for your own guy, it's definitely recommended. We're gonna have it sublet from other shops, but we can't even take appointments from other shops right now, so. So I, I look at these moments in our industry like the evolution of ADOS recalibrations, similar to the migration to water-based paint, aluminum repair, and now this. There are these big moments that initially are costly, intimidating, uncomfortable, but over time they smooth out, right? 
gaining access to the right information at the right time for these recalibrations and resets is unbelievably important. And I would venture to say that most body shops aren't doing enough in this area to get the education they need or gain access to the resources they need. You have some of these mobile mechanics that are helpful. They're not following the OEM specs either. They're doing better than nothing. And ironically, the dealer is certainly no safe haven for this. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So I've invested in a, in a company that will do nothing but ADAS recalibrations for body shops, in part because I feel like our company needs some of that. We can do third, half of them ourselves, easy peasy. Some of them require a pristine environment with, you know, you can't have a stack of tires in the shop while you're doing our ADAS recalibration. So we're trying to stay ahead of this thing and, uh, and make sure we're doing it right make sure that we can sleep at night and the like. I mean, these, these they're not cars anymore. They're like living and breathing organisms. They're all commingled systems. And, you know, if you put too much Bondo on a bumper cover, you might mess up the automated cruise sensors or what have you. So it's, it's kind of a crazy time. And, and you think this, is, this one's gonna calm down, but I just, I don't think it is. I think cars are gonna get exponentially more complicated every year. And we've gotta find a way to stay ahead of that stuff. Absolutely. Great, great knowledge that you've been able to share with us here today. You know, as we kind of wrap up the podcast, is there a piece of insight or a recommendation that each of you could share with our listening audience from your experience? Jesse, maybe we can start off with you. You know, from I'd say the, the franchise aspect, get familiar with your team, get familiar with the people around you, utilize that as much as you can. You'll only get in what you put out. That is extremely important, I think. You know, get, get familiar with some of the owners, get some phone numbers this weekend. If you don't have them already from a business aspect of things touching back on customer service talk, talking about innovations moving forward you guys hit the very next thing that i'm physically working on right now is opening up an ADAS center of my own so that i can do and facilitate everything in house so that i'm not sending out sublets for alignments i'm not having somebody else calibrate uh, my sonar sensors and have to wait a day or two days and then another three days for that invoice to come through and all the while the insurance companies po'd because you know you haven't locked the file yet you haven't sent up the final bill the customers already picked the car or maybe not so the length of rentals now expensive. So anyways uh, invest in that ADAS, like you said it's not going away invest in the ev it's not going away invest in those oem certifications and uh, the technology in order to do it that's all going to build growth i assume everybody here is here because they want to grow not just because they want to be a better operator because they want to eventually work on their business and not be so involved in the day-to-day business. You want to continue to grow and build a great staff. So in doing that, you need to know who you're working around. So become familiar with that. You know, I think for me, you know, being like only two years in next week, well, it's just, you know, taking care of what I can do and, you know, day by day. So I think a lot of us overestimate what we can do in a day, but we underestimate what we can do in a year. And if me and my team can stay consistent for a year, the growth is going to happen. I love the way that Jesse put it. He's like, I don't worry about the week. I'm just worried about what's going in today or what's coming in today, what's going out. And then before you know it, the week makes sense, the month makes sense, the year makes sense. And not to beat a dead horse, but like I have had so much help from other owners on the WhatsApp app. And I mean, I've called Ian on Friday night at seven. He takes the call. I mean, just these the ability that we can reach out and have access to people that have been there, that have done it and that are much better than I am at running a shop. And so that is so helpful for me to be able to lean on that. You know, and I think that as an independent owner, we can put our own flair on it. But having that back, having that backing has been super helpful. So, yeah, I guess they iterate the fixed family for me has been uh it's been huge. There's been a few times early on where I thought it was always me, everything I did, but I found out over the years, I've been just kind of picking the brains of every great operator and every one of us have something to offer each other. So it's, it's, it's been a great road for me with just within the fixed family. You know, I hope we maintain our fixed family quality. We have the driven friends, uh, driven's brand family now, which has been doing a great job guys. So thank you for that. Just keep investing in your shop because I think in the last eight years, I've invested more in equipment and technology and training for my staff than I had since 1986 till about 2015. 
You know, when you first started in our industry, you know, uh, Dean was talking about in the 70s and 80s, my biggest worry was buying a MIG welder because they were using blowtorch with uh, brazing rods and a dozer on the floor with chains on the floor. But it, it, you just keep on investing in your facility because it's just, it's, there's a lot going on right now. And not only investing in equipment, but investing in your staff because training your techs at every level is just huge. I mean, we demand even our detailers do ICAR just for the buffing detailing and general knowledge of cars. So keep, keep investing in your staff because that's your number one. I don't care how great your equipment is, you need great people to run your, your equipment, so. Three little tidbits I'd say. Number one, lean on each other here. Fix Auto is amazing, Driven Brands is amazing, but there's nothing more amazing than each of you. You think you have a business problem right now that nobody's dealt with, you're wrong. There's 10 people in the room right now that have dealt with exactly what you're dealing with. Raise your hand, ask for help, you'll get it. That's how we, we built Fix Auto, by helping each other and holding each other accountable. If someone's got a bad CSI, if they raise their hand and ask for help, they're gonna get it. If they don't, they're gonna get pressure from their, the, the other shops, right? This is a fraternity that we've joined and, and each of us has to uphold the standards of the fraternity. Process, I've, I've met a hundred body shop owners that say we've got the best processes of anybody. I'm like, great, let's see them. Well, yeah, I, I, I can explain them. No, do you, are they documented? Do you have video? Do you wrap training around it, right? How do you hold yourself accountable to raising the S, the level of excellence here? You're welcome to any other that I have. And then lastly, a, a real challenge that I witness a lot with small owner operators and businesses you have to make yourself work on your business and less in your business. It's not easy. I tell people, fire yourself from the mundane. I used to do payroll for my whole company. I had to fire myself from it. My accountant was quite happy about that, but I wasn't, you know, I had to let go. I had to learn to fire myself from that so I could move up to do other more strategic things for my company. So it's not easy, especially those of you that started in the business as a body man or a painter. It's really hard to fire yourself from those things. But if you want to build a successful business that you're proud of, you got to keep making those decisions. Jesse, Ernie, Alex, thank you so much for taking some time today with us this morning on Main Stage. You're all true leaders and we really appreciate your insight. And I'm sure that our listening audience today is really taking some of the feedback that you've provided today to heart and certainly looking to help them in their business. So again, thank you so much and uh, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. You're listening to the Collision Buzz podcast. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Facebook to connect with today's guests, engage in the community, and let us know what else you'd like to hear on upcoming episodes.